Good morning, everyone. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 119, how shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word? Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And so that's the reason why we read the word of God and, and hide it in our hearts and study it, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. So uh, I want to read to you from the word of God this morning from uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Philippians, fourth chapter, beginning at the 10th verse. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Herb. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about contentment. We're going to consider what the Bible has to say about this important topic. One dictionary defines contentment as the state of being ment mentally or emotionally satisfied with the way things are. This is an uncommon thing to find somebody who is truly content today. The Bible has a great deal to say about contentment, being satisfied with what we have, who we are, and where we're going. Contentment is a thing of beauty and also rare. God wants to help every Christian learn the secret of being content. Today's passage begins with a concept we have seen before. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He says, I rejoiced greatly. Paul has mega joy. He told them to rejoice. Now he's the one doing it. Regardless of our circumstances, we can always rejoice in one thing. We can rejoice in the Lord. Things can be going against us, but the Lord is for us. Amen? Things can be challenging, but we can always find something in the Lord that reminds us that we are loved, we are cared for, we have a heavenly Father. We can always rejoice in the Lord. In this case, Paul had joy that these Christians we're thinking of him. He says, you've renewed your concern for me. Isn't it great to know that we are connected with people? We have relationships and they care. 
And we have a mutual giving and receiving of, of love and compassion and concern. I appreciate so much our church because that is a reality here. When, um, when push comes to shove, this often comes out. And I think about Benjamin Laura. Recently, you know, he's, he's been attending here and we've enjoyed getting to know Benjamin and his family. And then, boom, he was in a really severe car accident, totaled his car. And um, if it had just been a few inches different, probably could have been really a catastrophe for him. As it was, it was bad enough. He was put in the hospital for a long period, multiple surgeries. He is home now. We rejoice in that. And it's been so cool to see some of you respond to his particular needs. Um, People have expressed concern. They've called. They have visited him in the hospital. Many of you have. And I appreciate that. Some of you have brought food to the family. (laughs) And some of you have called Benjamin. Some have called his wife, Diana. You've asked about their three kids. It really is a good model of what it is to step up. But let's not wait until push comes to shove. Let's be willing to do this on a regular basis anytime we see an opportunity. Let's step up and take that. This makes me think of Jim Harris, an elder I know. He is the hugging elder. (laughs) He demonstrates this ability to love people. Uh, Some of us stiffened up at first, you know, what's this guy hugging me, you know, (laughs) right there in the hallway in the church. But as we began to recognize his heart and see the compassion that was behind it, it wasn't just the hugs, although that stood out. It was also the fact that he would ask, how are you doing? And he would stop and listen. He loved to write notes. And that had a dramatic impact on the lives of so many, just as it does here in this church. Well, he uh, was so popular that even though he was layman, the church approached him and said, we want to hire you. Would you come on staff? The first hugging pastor. (laughs) I don't think that was his title, but he made a real difference. Let's be that kind of church. Paul says, you renewed your concern for me. There was an interval of time where Paul didn't hear from them. But their interest was renewed. This word means to sprout again, to shoot up, to blossom, to put forth new shoots. It's a colorful way to picture that they're reaching out to Paul. We can paraphrase it. You caused your thought for me to sprout and bloom afresh, like a tree putting out fresh shoots after winter. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood. He's not blaming them for their 
interval where they weren't able to contact him. He's not scolding them. He says, that's not my meaning. And then he goes on, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul says he learned to be content. Probably for him, just as for us, this is not our natural condition. He learned to be content. I rather suspect he learned it in the school of hard knocks. <laughs> as God took him through the various trials, he experienced God's comfort. And he learned to have an overcoming attitude. Now for Paul, he had learned to be content. And this word carries the idea of being self-sufficient. He does not go around expecting help because he's used to providing for himself. You'll remember what he did for a living. Tent maker, that's right. He made tents for a living early on in his ministry. I love that idea. Think about it. The great apostle Paul had to support himself. You know, I think it's good for people to have a career, even people in ministry, to have an additional career. I think it helps us to learn to relate to people. And I think uh, none of us in ministry should presume that we should always be provided. There may be times when we need to do the providing. For me, I learned it through uh, the grocery ministry. Uh, grocery, that's not a ministry, grocery business. <laughs> I made a living. I worked for <laughs> the income. I uh, did that for many years, putting my way through Bible college and seminary and a little bit beyond. Um, for Paul, it was um, cutting leather and sewing tents together. For my brother-in-law, Dennis is married to my wife's sister, and he was a bookkeeper and an accountant for many years and gradually kind of worked his way into ministry. So it's a good thing to be willing to provide for our own needs. Paul was willing to do that. In time, churches stepped up. And as they did, they provided for his income. But this is not something he was keen on. He was very concerned that he didn't want to be seen as doing the gospel in order to make a living or to gain profit. He'd rather do it for free than to have somebody steal his boasting. But as I said, in God's time, the church has stepped up and he was able to do ministry full time. Now, we're talking about being content. Consider this for a moment. For some, they think, hey, if I could just get fill in the blank, I would be content. If I could just get into college, I'd be content. If I could get a car, I would be content. If I could get a better job, I'd be content. If I could get a house, I'd be content. 
If I could get a better house, (laughs) I would be content. And mine, if I could get a jet ski, I would be content. Or a couple of horses and 15 acres. You get the idea. There's always something more that we could desire, right? I'm not saying it's always wrong. But before we ask God for more, remember the words spoken to us. I have learned in whatever circumstances I am to be content. Contentment was something Paul learned. McDonald says, contentment is really greater than riches. For contentment, if contentment does not possess riches, it achieves the same object by banishing the desire for them. In other words, we could be made happy by having more and more Or we can be made happy by being content with what we have. We may not get more and more. But you can see the benefit of being content with what we have. Someone like Rockefeller, one of the world's richest men, was asked, how much is enough? He answered, just a little bit more. Was he content? Nah. It's a blessed secret when the believer learns how to hold his head up high with an empty stomach. To have a smile with an empty wallet. A happy heart with an unpaid salary. And joy in God when men are faithless. I'm thinking how we often do not allow ourselves to be happy now. Because we want more. Paul is saying, you don't have to do that. Listen to his story. I know what it is to be in need. And... I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I know what it is to be in need, literally to be brought low, to be humbled. Paul had times when his physical needs were not met. They were not there. Sometimes Christians fast. They fast because they want to be close to God. They fast because they want to have God close to them. But sometimes Christians fast because they have no money to buy food. That's hard for us Americans to grasp. In other countries, they live this. They literally travel 
all day on an empty stomach to get to where the Bible is being taught so they can hear the Word of God. That's reality for some today. Surprisingly, it's harder to be happy and content when everything is going your way. Do you ever think about that? Everything's going your way and you get cranky? Or is it just me? Ever see somebody driving a Lexus or a $60,000 pickup truck? And, and they're impatient. They want to get where they want to get in the slightest inconvenience. Somebody in front of them is irking them off. Ever been there? Like this morning? <laughs> yeah, sometimes when we have everything, we have no contentment whatsoever. I would submit to you that's proof that having things, being wealthy or whatever, does not necessarily mean contentment. This is something we can learn regardless of whether we have much or little because that was Paul's experience. That's his testimony. For Paul, who had been through so much, it didn't matter. Good, bad, he was a happy camper. Oh, it took willpower. It took a choice. It took a decision to be that. And it says, he had learned the secret. I like that. He learned the secret. This word is used of the secret mystery religions of that day. I rather think Paul was snatching a word that they like to use. We've got the secret. Yeah, we've got this secret teaching that if you become part of our inner group, you will get initiated into. And he says, hey, we've got a secret. It's not that. It's we've got the secret of being content. Does Christianity impact the way we live? Can it make a difference in how happy we are? Yes. Next. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Whoa, this verse has been interpreted in so many ways. Ever seen an athlete, and he'll have Philippians 4.13 painted onto the eyeshadow when he's playing football or baseball. Maybe you've seen it on jerseys. Is that what this is getting at? Is this verse saying we can be living the life of a superhero? You know, God power. <laughs> Sometimes the thought is God will give you superhuman feats of strength. As a young adult, I remember playing tennis against a friend. And this friend, we grew up together. He was a year older and he was always superior to me in every aspect of athletics. He was a faster runner. He was a better wrestler. He was a better football player. You name it, he was better. And so now we're adults, 
And we're playing him in doubles. I think I've got my date. He's got his date. I want to impress. And so I think I shoot up a quick prayer. Lord, help me ace this serve. Is that what this verse is talking about? I don't think so. True, the word strength means that. To empower, to give strength, to infuse strength into someone. But is it strength to go from bench pressing 100 pounds to pressing 300? Is that the kind of strength this is talking about? I don't think so. I think this is talking about a more important strength and something that everyone can benefit from. It's the strength to deal with life. It's the strength to be able to handle any and every situation. As Paul said, whether well-fed or hungry, God gave him strength to get through it. If you're doing great, wonderful, but if you're having challenges, and many are, this strength is for you. This is what God wants to provide. And we'll provide if we seek him. In hard times and difficult situations, God may prompt people to step up. That happened for Paul. He now returns to the gift sent by the church to meet his needs. Isn't it great that sometimes God's strength, God's help, is sent by him through other people? Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Isn't it good when church folks remember you? Yet that does not always happen. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. <laughs> he uses a business metaphor here. The Philippians, by their contributions, had opened an account with Paul. The word forgiving is common in financial transactions of the day and is used for a payment or an installment. This was like receiving a payment and it being labeled as a debit or a credit to their account. The Philippians gave. Other churches, not so much. The Philippians were partners together with Paul. That word, partners, they were partnering with him, is related to the word fellowship, which means to have things in common. They shared financially with the apostle more than once. Verse 16, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now with Paul talking about money, there's always the possibility of being misunderstood. 
So he adds, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul continues the business metaphor. In business, you invest, right? And individuals as well make investments. Some of you perhaps have invested in an IRA uh, or maybe a mutual fund. What is it you expect when you do that? A return. That's right. Isn't that normal? Isn't that why people invest in those? If you're retiring and you invest a retirement account, you think, someday I want that to be there, and I want it to increase over time. You make an investment so that it will increase. And Paul is walking a tightrope here. He's He's wanting to express appreciation for the donation, for his benefit, but he doesn't want them to think that's his sole motivation. No, in fact, he really does, and I believe he's genuine here. He really does desire for the benefit that they will reap because when people invest in ministry, God takes note. When things are given for the purpose of helping the gospel get out. We never really lose that. We're just sending it ahead. In a similar way, C.S. Lewis was asked if he would have his beloved books in heaven. And he said, only the ones I give away on earth. He understood that giving is not losing. It's just sending it ahead. Now, there's a danger here in talking about giving. Many ministries are more business than ministry. Many charitable organizations do it for what they can get. Anytime you have an executive of an organization making north of a million dollars, they're not doing it. For charitable causes. They're doing it to make a buck. And Paul wants to be careful that his motives are not misunderstood. There are ministries promising that if you send them money, say in your retirement fund, they will pray for you And when they pray for you, you will get a hundred times as much back. What do you think the chances are? I think what they're trying to do, this is usually done on TV and the appeal is made, and what they're hoping for is that some sucker sitting in his living room watching the TV, they're Appeal will sound so good that his greed will cause him to throw caution to the wind and he'll send in a very large check. And then when they get that check, he's going to hear from them again and again. They will never be satisfied. In contrast, 
look at Paul. I have received full payment and have more than enough. When was the last time you heard the guy on TV say that? We have more than enough. Stop. No. He says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you have sent. Paul is satisfied. He had received the Philippians' recent gift, and it met all of his needs. This acknowledgement was his written receipt for their donations, as well as a thank you note. You ever thought of the book of Philippians as being that? It is. A person like Paul, who lives with a spirit of contentment, is not out for all he can get. He appreciates their partnership. He looks for God to bless them, perhaps in heaven, when rewards are handed out. And he does not try to pump them for tons of cash. Instead, he is content with what they have sent. And you know what he does next? He kind of brags about how great their gifts are. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He viewed these gifts as an offering. The sweet-smelling sacrifices in the Old Testament were not to atone for sin. They were more of a fellowship offering, people wanting to commune with their God. And they would offer these offerings that would have an aroma that would waft up to the heavens. And they pictured it as being pleasing to God, that he would smell their aroma. And what Paul says is, your offering is like that. You are being a believer priest, and the gifts that you are giving are pleasing to God. And now, another verse that is often taken out of context. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Tom Constable asks, why do so many Christians suffer due to lack of money, lack of food, lack of resources, in light of this, has God's word failed? Couple thoughts. One is, sometimes the greatest need for an individual Christian is not more money. In fact, sometimes what we need to mature us are trials, difficulties. Why? So we do two things. We learn to trust God in the hard times. Again, I think that's what Paul was alluding to when he learned the secret. He'd been through the school of hard knocks. He knew what it was to learn to trust God and to see him provide in his time. There may be times when Christians don't have all they need. There are Christians right now in the world today that are experiencing hunger or difficult problems. Has God failed 
to keep his word? I don't think so. I think if we understand the full picture, we understand that God works in a myriad of ways. I think there's something else here, though. Rather than look at this as a promise to all Christians, a blanket promise to every Christian everywhere that God will always fully meet every need you have, I don't think that's a good understanding of this in the context. God is promising to meet their needs. Agreed? But who is he making that promise to? He's making it, and, and we read elsewhere that the Philippians of all Christians were impoverished. They weren't the wealthy Christians, maybe say at Corinth or other places. These Christians there, Paul had been there. He knew them personally. He won many of them to faith in the Lord. He knew them, and he knew that their circumstances, many of them, they were in poverty. And yet, he says, out of your poverty welled up you a desire to give more. And you were the ones who gave. So I think what Paul is doing is he's promising those people who had perhaps been made more poor because they supported the gospel. He's promising that God loves their heart. And those Christians, he will meet their needs. He will provide. As a human father will bend every effort to see that his family's needs are met, how much more true is that of our faithful God? To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And now Paul's final greetings in this letter. Greet all the people in Christ Jesus, the brothers and sisters who are with me, Send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. These verses show true unity between the people that are there with Paul, where he is writing from, I believe in Rome, to the Christians 700 miles away in the city of Philippi. And although some of them probably had relationships because this was a Roman colony, there were others that didn't know each other, and yet they are one. They are united. They are together in one spirit because they are all brothers and sisters in Christ. They have one head, Jesus. They are one body receiving salvation from the head and blessed by God with different gifts and abilities to function together to build the body up. We are one. If you go to Africa, a Christian there is every much your brother as a Christian in this room. I went and met a man who was working to fill molds with mud to make bricks. You don't use wood in Africa because you walk past the termite hills and they're higher than your head. 
wood doesn't last. So they make bricks, and what they have to make bricks out of is the mud. So he's ankle deep in the field, just, uh, just beyond the road that we're walking on, road, dirt path. And I'm traveling with a, an interpreter because I don't speak Lugandan. And so I had the interpreter share my words to address this individual. To my surprise, he knew English. In fact, English with a bit of a British accent. And uh, we appreciated his spirit. He took time to talk to us. I discovered that he was a believer in Christ, my brother. And over the week that I was there, we met on several occasions. I got to know his story. He'd been raised in a Muslim family. As a young adult, he had become a Christian. And as a result, his father, who I take was quite wealthy, had cut him off. Now this college-educated man was reduced to making a living standing in mud, filling moles. But you know what? He wasn't bitter. He had learned the secret of being content. In fact, what I sensed in him was a joy and a contentment. This was the real experience of this man. I have often thought of him and prayed that God used him mightily in the church in Uganda. We have brothers and sisters in virtually every corner of this globe. Christianity claims the most followers of any religion. Though shrinking in some places, it is growing in others. All are our kindred in the Lord. If someone comes here from somewhere else and they are believers, greet them as your brothers in Christ. It's a genuine bond and an opportunity for great joy. Now Paul ends the letter with, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He closes the letter with what he began it with. The grace of God. What a glorious, wonderful theme that we, though we are sinners, we are saved by grace. Though we don't deserve it, God pours out grace on us as believers. We are adopted by God the Father. He has reached out to us and made us part of his dear family. And this theme of grace so impacted Paul that he was filled to the max with it. And so it's just natural that grace poured out from his pen. Well, we've seen many things today, but I want to come back to the one I started with. Be content. Make it the resolution of your week. God wants us to be happy, not with more things, but with more of Him. Wherever you are, make it your goal. Here are some things that we've looked at today that may help. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving helps with having a grateful heart. 
the act of giving thanks turns us from what we don't have to what we do. Change of focus. Next, the joy of giving. When we give with a good heart, we see less of what we don't have and more of what we can do to help others. And we can further the cause of the gospel. When that is our focus, it blots out all selfishness. John Wooden shares, seek opportunities to show you care. The smallest gestures often make the biggest difference. That is what the Philippians did. This letter is a lasting testimony to their giving spirit. Imagine they gave what they could out of their poverty. And God inspires a book of the New Testament to remember that. The book of Philippians. Next, be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Would you say that with me? Be content with what you have. Enough said. Keep in mind Paul's frequent imperative. Rejoice. Have joy no matter what. Rejoice in the good times. It's a gift. Rejoice in the hard times like broken dishes. I remember Lorraine. She was a student at my school, Florida Bible College. And uh, she her end goal was to be a missionary to Russia, which was at that time a closed country, later opened up. In order to study the Word of God, she was working her way through college in the kitchen, serving hundreds of students as well as faculty and staff and others. And one day, we were eating lunch, a beautiful ocean vista, wonderful place to be, and we heard a crash from the kitchen. Lorraine and her hurrying had been carrying dishes. Now, this used to be a five-star hotel. We were pretty lucky. And they had all the dishes left over from that hotel, all these white china. And, and so she's carrying all these dishes. She gets in a hurry, and the floor was wet, and she slipped. And down go the dishes, and so we heard that crash. What is your response in a situation like that? <laughs> You know what she said? Oh, Philippians 4.4. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Yeah, yeah. And as this guy says, next slide, please. In whatever situation, back one, please. In whatever situation, I am to be content. <laughs> Finally, keep in mind, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen? Father God, this is something that I'm having to learn afresh. I pray, Father, that you help all of us. We all need this from time to time. But I thank you for your message you recognize our need, Father. You know that there are challenges in life. 
Many people here are experiencing those. But along with those challenges, we know that you were in the trenches with us and you desire to help us have joy and experience good things. Father God, we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.